the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 34, Sitcoms, Volume 1. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And today we're going to be looking at sitcoms. And particularly more modern sitcoms, because we generally go for the old and forgotten. Yeah, but today we've, we're going to... Today we're, we're bringing it, I think, mostly into the 21st century. So, well done us. Woo, yeah. I, I think apart from Doctor Who, this is the only 21st century stuff we've done so far, isn't it? I can't think of anything else. It's a, a lovely, bright Saturday, April morning. Just have bacon and egg butties. The gin is already poured at uh, quarter past ten. It's not our record, but we're doing well. And, they, and they're only singles. They are, they're really only tasters. Well, we, let's, uh, let's whip out the tonic screwdriver and let's give this a review. Right, so what we're drinking today, or what we're starting off with today, is Warner Edwards Honeybee Gin. And despite the title, it's not specifically honey-based. It, it, it's got some sort of honeyish flavour to it. But it's called Honey Bee because it's uh, taken from the florals that are on the Warner Edwards estate visit to make their honey. From the title, it's not as you'd expect it quite a sweet gin, and this isn't. Yeah, I was expecting far more honey. I don't like it. Really? Because yeah. I, I think this is lovely. Yeah. It's... I'll have yours then. Mm. You're welcome to. That is nothing. I think it doesn't help that I was expecting honey. And it's not. I'm actually getting aniseed from that. Very, very, very faintly. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I see what you mean. It's certainly got that kind of back-of-the-tongue sharpness, mm. which I quite like. But then I quite like aniseed and star anise and those sort of flavours. And actually like absinthe. Gosh, wormwood. <laughs> I, I, I have tended toward the Gothic in my time. When I got my PhD, my friend Preacher and I... Um, sank a bottle of, of absinthe and then preacher went to work and i stood on his head your past is just a miasma of, <laughs> of... <laughs> um preacher's a cabaret performer and teaches circus tricks and his going to work was working in a local nightclub doing performance tricks mm. and he wouldn't normally do do it with friends because it's accusation of having plants in the audience, which he doesn't work with. But because it was my PhD day, he got me up on, on stage to do one of the, the set pieces, which involves him laying down with his face in broken glass and somebody standing on the back of his head. It sounds delightful. I'm sure. <laughs> and, and he's the bloke that taught me how to fire breathe. Bringing it back Bring it just back to for a second. Uh, we'll finish off the gin review. Um, I'm afraid it's not... Uh, a one Bernard would have to be just bad. This I just don't like, so I'm going to give this two Bernards. Okay, which I think is one of the lowest scores either of us have given. Mm. Um, I think this is a good solid four. It's it's quite a it is quite a bitter gin, and the the title is a little misleading, mm, and, it, and it, it's in a sort of yellowy honey coloured bottle. So so you think you're going to be getting almost a sort of meaty type gin. Mm. Which it definitely isn't. I, I think it's a lovely gin, but it's not a sweet gin at all. No, not not uh, which I don't mind. I, I mm. quite like sharp gins. That's just not for me. I just don't like the taste. Okay, so. well, not everything can be for everyone. Having bombed on the gin review. <laughs> Black Archive.
I because we're on a sitcom theme, I'm going to choose a sitcom. Now there are a couple of the likely lads have just turned up recently, but there are still some missing. I'm not entirely sure how many there are missing. I think it's quite a few, comparatively. I thought that was one that had a reasonable survival. I think it's the very early ones, the black and white ones, I think. The Likely Lads was only black and white, it was in the mid-60s. It it then came back as whatever Whatever happened to the Likely Lads, and that was sort of mid-70s, and that that, that tends to pretty much all survive. From recollection, there, there were two series, half a dozen episodes, each of which most of the first series survive and little of the second mm. series survives and I think there were um, second series episodes that came back but I may be wrong on every single one of those points mm. no I'm going to I'm going to rescue uh, The Likely Lads I, I've always had a, I've mm. rather enjoyed The Likely Lads and I think it's been released on DVD I must get a hold of the, um, the newly recovered episodes so sticking with the sitcom theme I bring back Our House oh that's lovely um, yeah our house was a kind of carry on on television. Um, it was about it was a early sixties comedy ran for two series about a group of people who buy a house together because none of them, none of them can afford to buy their own house. And the humour is from a bunch of whole uh, a bunch of very disparate people living in a house that's falling apart and the trials and tribulations of their life. It had that's Joan great. Sims and Charles Baudry. He, was he, he not, was the lead, wasn't he, really? Wasn't there it? wasn't really a lead. Um, Bernard Breslau came into it in the second series. Uh, there was uh, Norman Rossington. A whole load of the, the, the carry-on team. Despite there being, I think, high 20s, low 30s episode number of episodes that were made, only three now survive, all from the first series. I know Andy and Lisa really don't like it. Um, they, they watched one and they, they, they weren't keen. I really enjoy it. You brought it years and years. Oh and years God, yeah, ago. It, would, it would be donkeys years ago. When when we get to do sixty sitcoms, then we can have yeah. another episode of it. But I, I remember sitting here. It was a long time ago. This is when I still had carpets in the house, and um, I'm fairly sure. I think you have debunked this, but I'm fairly sure it was on a, a bootleg or something. No. Was it? Uh, uh, so it was Misadventure. Misadventure. Or, yeah, um, I, I had on a. Can't remember how I got hold of it, but that's an that's not an official release because there's only one surviving episode of it. Um, Our house was the proper network yeah. DVD. But I remember really enjoying that. I mean, yeah. That is that is a long time ago now, but I, I do remember enjoying it. I thoroughly enjoyed Our House, and I would love to see more episodes of it. So that's my recovery for the Black Archive for sitcoms. Right, so on with the motley, and... Uh, and what have we got first? Because you're more in the driving seat for this one than I am. I am, and this, uh, there's two that I've... Um, the first two that we're, we are up today, we'll start with the IT crowd. And it's the episode Excellent. from Series 3 called Friend Face. Oh, I remember this one. It doesn't really need an introduction, because uh, vast, vast chunks, almost all of the IT crowd is just sublime. For those who haven't seen it, it's a sitcom from uh, the early 2000s, which ran, I think the last episode was 2013, I think they finished with a special. It was written by Graham Linehan, who was one of the people behind Father Ted, and he's been in loads of other things, and he's cropped up as a writer and occasional performer. It's set in... um, Politically problematic, but he's horrifically anti-trans. Is he? Yeah, he's, he's... Written some absolutely vile stuff about uh, about transgendered people. It's not my area. You're you're far more au fait with uh, 
the whole trans scene that it's so strange and what why would that be I wonder it's just never in, inveigled my sphere so to speak but yeah this is it's set in um, a huge corporation headquarters the function of which and the products of which we never actually found it's always skirted around what this company does they're a huge corporation the IT department is languishing in the basement it's about two computer geeks and their uh, manager who knows absolutely nothing about computers, but is there in order to manage them. And it's just magnificent from beginning to end. I can't believe there's anyone out there who hasn't at least been dealt a glancing blow from the IT crowd in some form. It's still all over the internet now. And while we're talking about people out there who um, are interested in... TV comedy show, British TV comedy shows. Uh, we should really give a shout out to the Anglophilia podcast. Yeah, we should. They're incredibly entertaining. Yes. And their third series is about to be released. They'd, um, since we last talked about them, they've done a second series, which was completely devoted to Monty Python. Very, very entertaining. Oh, I'm not going to talk about, about uh, Python. I've got a love-hate relationship with this. The films are magnificent. Uh, the series was a bit of a slog for me, actually. Um, we'll come back to that. Or okay. maybe, maybe you know, we'll, we'll come back to, to Python at another date. Monty Python TV series, moments of brilliance, moments of tedium. Yes. And little in between. So they, they either absolutely hit the nail totally square on the head or miss it by a mile. Mm, that's pretty much my feeling. It's uh, You're not supposed to say anything derogatory about Python, but I'm afraid of... I don't worship the TV series like a lot of other people seem to. The films are a different kettle of fish altogether. Holy Grail remains my favourite. Close. I, I love Life, Life, Life of Brian. Brian. And there is a wonderful interview out there. Oh, well, we've segued into Python now. Let's just have a little aside. There is an interview out there with Malcolm Muggeridge and somebody else whose name escapes me completely. And it's it's certainly on YouTube. It's worth... it's. Yeah, because, John Cleese and Michael Palin, and because Michael Muggeridge, uh, 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 Malcolm Muggeridge was very Catholic, wasn't he? Yes, um, um, I mean, okay, he he was ostensibly on there in his role as a as a critic, mm. but he was basically there as a Catholic mouth, mouthpiece, and there was a um, a bishop or a, a, a deacon, it's a, some sort yeah, of. I can't remember. I've listened to the Anglophilia episode about this fairly recently, and they, they they talk about they talk about this interview in quite a lot of depth. Palin and Cleese come across extremely well mm. in that interview because they're very measured, and they deconstruct rather than rip apart the arguments against Life of Brian. Yeah, and yet they're still banging on about it being all about Jesus and Christianity and this and the other. And whatever the Python boys say is just completely overruled by these two. God bother us. They're only missing, really, a huge Python-esque neon cross <laughs> flashing above their heads. That's it's that, that's a bit more Kenny Everett <laughs> with the whole brotherly love. And... Monty Python would have been running in with a whole load of Spanish Inquisition and strapping them to a draining board. <laughs> yeah, that, but that's worth tracking that down. That was a Monty Python that's... thing, wasn't it? A... Strap them to the rack and they strap them to a clothes dryer or something. I don't know. I or have I make, completely made that up in my head? I don't know if you've made it up, but I, I don't know. This, the series is too much of a slog for me to remember in any depth. I've, so I bought the box set for a tenner in Asda. I don't think I've made it as far as series three. So anyway, dialing back to the IT crowd. So on with the, the IT crowd. 
and Ron VT, Friendface from Series 3. What is Friendface? Friendface is a great new site for meeting people. How does it work? Friendface works along the same principle as a cold or a terrible plague. But it's not disgusting germs that Friendface spreads, it's friendship. Each Friendface page is like a petri dish filled with friendship germs. When you stick your face into the dish, you may come away with millions of other people attached to your face. That's right, it's basically a diseased face of friendship. Just sign up with Friendface by giving us all of your personal information. And we'll provide a web page where you can meet new friends, catch up with old ones, and maybe find that special someone. Don't think about germs now, that analogy's over. Now it's just love and companionship and everything's fine. We own everything you put on Friendface. It says so in the terms of the agreement. But don't worry about that. We won't use it to do anything bad, we promise. Just think about love and companionship and everything's fine. Friendface. 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 Well, another slice of brilliance there. <laughs> I, I'd forgotten how much I love the IT crowd. <laughs> that is one of my favourites. That's a really good episode. It's solid from beginning to end. Basically, a complete pastiche of social media, primarily Facebook, how it reconnects you with people that um, you both like and can't stand. And, and actually, they, would this have been around the time of Friends Reunited, or was that a little bit earlier? A little bit earlier, um, yeah. Because yeah. The, when Friends Reunited first came across, there were there were a whole lot of people who... Um, oh, the divorce rate shot up. But there, there were people who actually got assaulted because of things that happened years earlier, and uh, they were able to mm. reconnect. I, I remember signing on to Friends Reunited and looking through and thinking... I know lots of people here. There are reasons why I don't talk to any of them anymore. <laughs> it, it's like the, the suggested um, column on Facebook. You go, no, 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 no. And occasionally you go, well, actually, yeah, we used to get on quite well. And then you connect and realise why you Lost don't it. anymore. But the, the story unfolds. They, they all join friend face. And, and Jen goes to her school reunion. school reunion. And it's just a disaster because all her friends have done really well. And she... I mean, our school reunions like that. I've, I've never been to one. I've never been to one. I didn't like them at school, so uh, I don't really have any strong desire to um, meet these people. I never spent more old. than two years in any one school mm. anyway, so I, I never, I, I didn't make strong connections at school at all. Um, and I, I don't actually think I'm in touch with anybody that I was at school with. I'm in touch with a couple of people that I knew from the time when I was at school, but not ones that I was actually at school with. So it, it, it holds no interest or appeal for me whatsoever. Well, there's, I'm in touch with a few people from uh, high school. My oldest mate, we um, we run a garden business together, but he's about the only one. Apart from uh, Paul, who is another mate of mine, very good mate, don't see nearly enough of, but lives get in the way, real life. But the episode just, it goes off the rails within about five minutes uh, of just the horror that is that social media can throw up at you. Jen goes on a school reunion, 
And it's just with moss, with moss as a, a husband, and <laughs> I, I, I love the character of moss, but I, I think him pretending to be the husband is almost his finest out. Yes, it is. His finest out, without a doubt, is when he goes to the football match. That ludicrous um, display last night. They, they've kicked the ball, and that apparently deserves a cheer. Which <laughs> is kind of my attitude toward, towards football. Yeah, we don't um, do football. Neither of us. Nice live game of rugby. I can definitely see the appeal of that. It's a cheerful afternoon's cricket for me. Oh, God. I, uh, yeah. yeah, but... Or snooker. Yeah. Well, but... I, I can see the appeal of snooker largely because the snooker table has a pub built around it. Plenty of beer involved with cricket. That's why I like it so much. Long, lazy afternoons with beer. Cricket makes me think of pims, actually. Yes, I can see where you're going with that. The, the sort of the whole cricket. You would have to be wearing cricket whites though to drink pims, or a linen suit. I do linen suits. I, I'm I'm not in the least bit surprised. I'm more surprised <laughs> that you're suggesting that I do. The other, the flip side of that coin is that uh, Roy goes on a date, uh, or he gets reunited with the date from hell, which the, the overly clingy date. Jen initially suggests that he's not allowed to. Tell her the truth of why they broke why they broke up in <laughs> online. So he has to do it face to face, and then when he arranges to do it face to face, she just says, "Well, why don't you do it online?" It's too awful to contemplate. I mean, you'd like to think that 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 will actually have happened somewhere. And oh dear. Um, and for all we do, we talked at the beginning about how um, Graham is it Linehan? Linehan, yeah, yeah. It's very and it's outspoken anti-trans. Much of his humour doesn't really poke fun at specific people. But every so often, he is absolutely vicious about somebody. And the poor girl with the makeup running down her face. And all the jokes about, oh, it's the Joker. I <laughs> I just thought was horrible. Really? Yeah. I, I can see the humour in it, but... Um, yeah, we're coming at it from different angles. I didn't see anything more into that than... May, maybe it's because I have too many times been... The gay friend who ends up with the sobbing girl who has been utterly heartbroken by somebody who's made a really shitty comment like that. That that bit of it, I, I, I can see where the humour is coming from, but I don't. I didn't find that funny. I'm not excusing uh, being nasty to people. I don't. I don't, I don't find that because most of the rest of it, the humour comes from the fact that the the three main characters don't really fit in anywhere, and mm. it's their attempts to to fit in, and it's. It's those attempts that that fuel the humour, mm. but they did no. They did the Joker makeup bit. I, I didn't find funny. I only saw that as a as a dig at uh, people that wear too much makeup. That was not not um, um, the people themselves. It's just wearing too much makeup. Rather, but again, than, you have to ask why do people wear so much makeup? A lot of people use it as a as a mask, sort of yeah, uh, as a as a comfort blanket yeah. and as a way of insulating themselves from. Social situations that they're they're very uncomfortable and awkward mm. in. I again, I know too many people who are very troubled by um, social anxiety and who will use makeup and the way that they dress either very flamboyantly or dressing very down and um, deliberately plain as a way of insulating themselves mm. from that 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 social contact. So that was another reason I didn't find it particularly funny. Oh, fair dues. But but Mo- all Moss's lies about Jen and. Jen's <laughs> rising discomfort about all the lies that he's coming out coming out with. That's funny because she's put herself in that situation. She's the one who started off 
trying to compete with the successful people she was at school with and drags Moss into the into the light, knowing that he is who he is and he can't lie effectively. The striking thing about that sequence was just how far Moss's imagination just ran off. This quite uh, reserved character, once he was allowed to come out of the box, he just really ran with it. Ah, but <laughs> role-playing role geeks, mm. you give role-playing geeks a character and they fly with it. And he does do it again in another episode where they're, uh, it's from series four, Jen the Freddo, where they're the entertainment's manager and they get the guys around the table and they do uh, role-playing, mm. fantasy role-playing. He runs off with that as well. That's actually really well observed. For anyone who's not seen the IT crowd, any of them from the four series are very worth your time. Uh, they're not in any sort of linear order. You can pick one at random and you'll probably enjoy it. Although we didn't this time. If you pick one of the ones with Noel Fielding. Oh, yes. A, a periodic character called... I can't remember either. Raymond or Reynard. No, what's his name? Richmond. Periodic character called Richmond. It wasn't far off. Who lives in behind in a a computer cupboard <laughs> in the office? There is actually he lives behind the red door. There is a green door as well in the office, which is never opened. We never find out what's behind the green door. So yeah, uh, highly recommended the IT crowd. Any of them, go and enjoy yourselves. But next on our list this morning is another favourite of mine. I know it is of yours. So we've picked Black Books, and it's a it's a, an episode from series one called Poisoning the Pope, and it's all to do. With wine. It's not all to do with wine. It is largely. It starts with wine and ends with wine. And in the middle, there's a lot of wine. And Fran's disastrous date. Oh, yes, of course. I say, shall we watch the episode well, before we it critique first, yes. it? was not called Poisoning the Pope at all. It was uh, all to do with Poisoning the Pope with wines. Uh, it was actually an episode from Series 1, third episode from Series 1 called The Grapes of Wrath. Uh, it's... <laughs> it is a good, it's a good episode. It is not, it's not my favourite. I know it's Simon's, but... Uh... It is. <laughs> I've, I've seen that episode dozens of times and it still makes me laugh. <laughs> the whole Frankenstein bit where <laughs> the episode revolves for those who aren't familiar Black Books is set in a London bookshop um, Bernard Black the proprietor is a miserable bastard and he's uh, his shop assistant Manny played by Bill Bailey calm yourself boy calm yourself <laughs> just beating him with that tree the bookshop is a grotty little hole so they finally get in a cleaner to de-louse the place and while they have to leave, so they go and house it for somebody who has a very expensive wine cellar. Uh, on one side, it's full of Londis and Sainsbury's wine. On the other side are wines that are hundreds of years old, and one of which is destined for the Pope later that month. In true Manny style, he confuses which ones he's allowed to touch and which ones he isn't, and they drink about £10,000 worth of wine in an evening and then realise their mistake and try and concoct... A hundred-year-old wine in one night in a thunderstorm. <laughs> After Manny has cricked his neck with a shiatsu massage machine. 
and adopts the role of Igor, while Bernard takes on the mantle of Victor Frankenstein, and they just got completely mental with bits of wood and leaves and fruit trying to make this spicy wine. They cover it with dust, put it back in the cellar, and the episode ends with this bottle being presented to the Pope, who's poisoned, and their friend whose house they've rented it out of the sitting for ends up getting arrested for poisoning the Pope. The end. In the meantime, of course. There's a whole sequence where Fran, the the third regular, um, who runs the gift shop next door, she she goes on a date with somebody, um, and very early on in, in the date, there are fairly clear indications that the bloke she's on a date <laughs> on the date with is gay and doesn't realise it, so she ends up breaking uh, breaking that news to him. And there's this wonderful sequence where he's sobbing his heart out and saying, thank you, you've saved my life, and everything's clear now, and she's just ploughing her way through a giant chocolate dessert. <laughs> saying, oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> That's quite reminiscent of a, a series of the IT crowd work because there's there's one in that where the first one of the second series where Jen goes on a, a date where they all oh, end up yes. got the works outing where this fella that they can't work out whether he's gay or not takes them to a musical called Gay subtitled A Gay Musical <laughs> that's quite gay <laughs> and at the end it turns out oh he is gay because he borrowed a copy of Heat and that's where that's where his realisation dawns that he's gay with black books Fran's just a great character. She's just a complete lush. Oh, that, and that bit, uh, it's, I know it's not in this episode, but that, that bit where she's in a shop, shop and she just looks around and says, I really do sell a lot of wank. <laughs> that's in the actual, that's in the very first episode. Yeah, uh, and it's the, it's the one where they're trying to work out what that weird space age teapot thing is. T- Turns out to be a cigarette lighter. Yeah, and... Um, she and Bernard are working out for what looked like hours, mm-hmm. and then Manny just comes along and presses a button, the flame comes <laughs> up. Um, but that, that's not in the, the episode that we've seen. There's also a really c- creepy cleaner. Oh, played by Kevin Eldon. Yeah. Now, he's a real morphic actor. He can play so many different things. Uh, and indeed, he was Antimony, the companion in Doctor Who Death Comes to Time. Oh, was he? Yes. And you'd never know because he was so completely different Ooh. in that. Yeah, I have to re-listen to that. Rather, I, I love Death Comes to Time. It's very underrated. And is that the Stephen Fry one? Mm. Mm. Um, but it's so that's beautifully produced. If only all audio Doctor Who was at that level. That's really well done. Another Not segue. gonna start on this. No, grit them, grit them. <laughs> and that's really all I've got to say on Black Books. It's although I did notice as we were trying to get the title correct on Wikipedia. There was a pilot episode, which is completely, totally unreleased. It's never been released anywhere. Uh, that centres around Manny committing suicide. Presumably, mm. it doesn't. So, but until now, I was blissfully unaware. Yes, that I didn't know that. So yeah, hopefully that will turn up somewhere. Moving swiftly on. Yes. So now what? this is a your your choice this time. I've never heard. Well, I've never seen any of this. Oh, plebs. Plebs is a is a wonderful series. It's the story of three young lads who live in Rome in the uh, days of the Roman Empire. Two of them work in an office, uh, and the the third one is their slave. It doesn't really act very much like their slave. There's an awful lot of office humour in the same way that would work in a current sitcom, but just translated into uh, into Roman terms. And then there's an awful lot of sort of poking fun at things like the uh, 
the gladiatorial con- contest mm. in the uh, in the Colosseum and the two lads' complete inability to um, to meet girls and fit in with the the kind of society that they want to fit in. It looks absolutely gorgeous because it's filmed on the film sets that were left over from the uh, the TV series Rome. And and they basically built a, a, a small Roman town in Bulgaria mm-hmm. as a um, a film set, which is still there and it's still churning out television for anybody who wants to um, to make something set in Rome television and films. I understand that there's a, a whole little army of extras that you can uh, who are Bulgarians who know exactly how to look like Romans. <laughs> I think it's Bulgaria it's in. It's either Romania or Bulgaria, but I think it's Bulgaria. I think it's near Sofia. One of those Eastern European areas to talk about. Which I really like going to. <laughs> Bucharest is one of my favourite cities to visit. Yeah, unfortunately. Uh, at the but I'm a, I'm, a li- I'm a little more Euro-inclusive than you are. I have nothing... Look, let's not... It's not for, it's not for <laughs> these discussions. <sighs> at, the, at the time of recording... The we're, tedium of Brexit is the, still I, ongoing. I'd, I'd say still. insanity rather than tedium. Oh, um, yeah, we, we... As a country, we really are... Whichever side of the debate you're on, we really are disappearing down the yeah, rabbit hole. It, it's nothing. The process, if not the end result, is nothing like it should be. It's, and we've just heard that we have months more of it to yeah. survive. For listeners around the world, and we do have them, um, it, whatever it looks like to the outside world, um, it has nothing to what people in Britain are thinking about it. We've had the best part of three years of inactivity and politicians going, this will all go away, don't do it. And then we've had four weeks of intense talking that really should have happened a long time ago, to the point where we're kicking the can further and going begging with our begging bowls for more time and more time. It's just, it's entirely, however stupid it looks to the rest of the world, it's completely it embarrassing. Even more stupid to us. Yes. Uh, but let's not, we, we, we see it ad nauseum every day. Let's go on to something more interesting. So well, to, now, which one, which one is this? So have we got uh, a particular episode? or is it? We, we do. I can't remember the title of it. Okay. Um, this is from Series 3, though. I do know that. Yes. So play the tape. So that was the first episode of the third series, The Beasts. I love this. <laughs> okay, the plot is that the the lad's landlord has disappeared and his mother, played fantastically by Maureen Lippman, oh. um, has turned up to take over the management of the apartment complex that they live in and is gentrifying it, so wants to up their rent. At the same time, they meet up with a group of protesters outside the Coliseum where they've gone to buy tickets for the animal show that they're unable to get into. One of the leads fancies the, one of the protesters, so they agree to go along to the protest in the evening. When they get there, they find out it's a naked protest, which he's not happy joining in with. So to try and get out of it, he argues with the centurion, and they all get arrested. They end up being sentenced to death because of this in the, um, the arena, and they end up with the, uh, the newly returned landlord, facing the um, the beasts, whatever they're going to be. And it turns out to be a lion. And the lion runs around a bit. A very docile-looking lion. It is very, yeah, it is. Um, but I suppose you, when you're making a TV programme, you don't 
put a, an actual wild lion into the middle of it. And and they get out of it by follow, taking a trick out of the um, landlord's mother's book from earlier in the episode and sticking a finger up the lion's bum, which calms him down and he goes for a sleep. And against all odds, the uh, one of the geeky regulars gets the girl in the end. And uh, that, that was my first experience of plebs, and it will certainly not be my last. Having done some wikipediaing uh, in the interim it was an itv2 series or is uh, an itv2 series yeah series five is due for this year and it's this is my my problem with having so many television channels nowadays that stuff like this gets buried in the mire it something really has to stand out and be publicized because i mean this has been on this has clearly been on for a few years now yeah, they've just done four series. And I'm unaware of it, really. I've um, heard of it. I've seen trailer, but that's about it. Yeah. And it's brilliant. Uh, the sets are amazing. It's been, you explained why the sets are amazing. They've been used on a previous lavish production. Uh, the writing's good. It's genuinely funny. And the, the uh, all the regulars are great. There's Joel Fry who's in it, too. He's actually going to crop up in the next thing we're going to watch, Trollied. And he's no longer in it. <coughs> right. He left at the end of this series... And was replaced by a blonde idiot, mm. um, as opposed to the brown-haired idiot. Brown-haired idiot. Uh, Ryan Samson is in it as the... Um, slave. Groomio. The, Groomio, the slave. And he's played by... Uh, uh, Ryan Samson was the annoying American whiz kid from the Sontaran stratagem in Doctor Who. And it, it's a mark of him that I actually thought he was American, a, a whiny, annoying American in Doctor Who, and he's clearly not. He's just... Uh, quite versatile because he's as thick as a proverbial in this and plays it perfectly. And again, the northern accent that he does in this yeah. isn't his, his natural accent. And then you've got Tom Rosenthal, who is the son of Jim Rosenthal, the sports commentator. It's sports. It's sport. I, I am <coughs> vaguely, I am vaguely aware of him, but there's he's peppered with a cast of others: uh, Dune Mackican and um, Jeffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect from the Hitchhiker's Guide radio series. Yeah, I, I would happily watch more of this. It's great stuff. And Maureen Lipman just being entertainingly yeah. horrible. But she does not age. She's looking fantastic. I don't know how old Maureen Lipman is. She'll be well into her 70s, one would presume. And she's not ageing. And she becomes a sort of semi-regular in in this series. I don't think... I, I can't remember whether she or Landlord are in the, the fourth series, because in the fourth series, they um, the three of them open up at their own bar. Mm. But yeah, it... it it's a, a very entertaining to uh, see Maureen Lippman being vicious and swearing her face off is just a joy to watch. Well, historical comedies are very much my thing. There is, I have mentioned it before, and we must do it in future, even though it's a contemporary series, Upstart Crow, which is basically um, a 21st century version of Blackadder, and it is utterly superb. Well, we there, must do that. There's a whole load we can do because there's Blackadder, Up Pompeii, Chelmsford 1, mm. 2, 3, oh, uh, Complete and Utter History of Britain. I think uh, sitcoms may have several volumes across um, the series. I, I think that's pretty much a given. And sticking with the sitcom theme, the fourth and final chapter in this particular volume is Trollied, which is a Sky One series. It's been running quite a few years now, and it's a sitcom set in a supermarket. So without further ado, Ron VT. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Falcon. Serves you right. I'm quite nervous. You won't beat our prices. <laughs> can you stop that now? If you can get it anywhere cheaper, I'll come round and cook it myself. We have 17 varieties of Pompadour. Offers on everything from booze to biscuits. Loads of two-for-ones. Service with a smile. <laughs> yeah, fresh produce. Delivered daily. Don't forget the Valco tip. That way. Valco. Oh, I wasn't ready. Oh, Valco <laughs> serves you right. Valco serves you right. Right, that was the first episode of Series 1 of Trollied, which was a Sky 1 sitcom. It's come to an end now. It's finished uh, in 2018. And it's just set in a supermarket called Valco, a generic supermarket, although it has been largely admitted by the producers to be based on Morrison's. Before we launch into a critique of this, I do have to give an honourable mention to a second squeeze of the tonic screwdriver. This gin, for me, is sort of... It's exempt from review, because I'm drinking it in a slightly different way. I have got a thing... I, I don't really enjoy spoiling gins with botanicals. Uh, I, I do like to find out what the gin actually tastes like first. So, periodically, I do have a fallback gin, which is any sort of generic supermarket gin in a glass-infused teapot with either some botanicals or just a fruit tea bag and bog-standard tonic with lashings of ice, drunk out of a teacup. Pictures are on the website, kids, so take, uh, check it out, but it is worth doing. It's just a lovely go-to drink, but because it's so generic, I can't really give it a review, but it is worth giving a go. What do you think? It's nice, it's summery, it's fruity. It, yeah, does yeah, the trick. It's it's just a... I mean, you, can't, you it's more the fruit you taste. Yeah, than, it uh, is. The, the it is. But it's no, just it's a nice it. long drink, and well worth trying out. Tea, t- gin out of a teacup, I do enjoy it. So back to trolleyed. Um, it's not there's not really a plot as such. A very thin sort of collection of set pieces and subplots, rather than uh, plot as such. And every episode follows the same mm. format. There's an overarching theme. A, th- a theme in later series. One of them, you get an area manager who comes in with crazy ideas throughout series three, I think, and uh, series five and six concentrate on rival supermarkets. But beyond that, they all follow the same structure of subplots and interesting characters. I love all the characters in this. Having worked in uh, a cash and carry and various retail outlets, the same characters do crop up. It's fairly true to life, and I can understand why supermarket workers love it. What What was your reaction? Um, I I really enjoyed it. I hadn't realised it was the the pilot episode. My immediate impression was that it was a lot of funny sub um, little set pieces that didn't really gel together with way too many characters. Right. But if it's going to follow, if, if that's the, the way it's deliberately mm. done, um, it does work quite well at that. I, I prefer possibly a slightly more old-fashioned kind yes. of sitcom where there's an overall plot with subplots hanging off it. And if it develops onto that... There are, there's a lot I'd, I'd more be a little bit more interested in it. Yeah. The, um, I mean, the, the main subplot in that was Jane Horrocks's character wanting to celebrate her birthday and not having anybody to celebrate it with, and she almost end up, ends up begging the um, the two lads on the Butcher's butcher counter to to come along and help celebrate it. And it would have been nice if they they'd been. So friendly and supportive, but probably a little more real world that they just took the piss out of her. Yes, and it's it is having worked in that environment. That is pretty much how the uh, environments like that work. Mm. You've got the 
the bouncy sort of matey, but takes the job very seriously. Manager played by Jason Watkins. He's in it throughout the entire run. Jane Horrocks is the deputy manager. She disappears three series in, uh, and the the whole cast just they do change. Yeah. So there's very few that last the entire run. But again, that is how it is in real life. People move on very quickly in a retail environment. I like it. It's it's very very watchable for me. Um, I enjoyed it. There were <clears throat> there were quite a number of funny bits right the way through. As I say, I I prefer something with a little bit more overarching plot per episode. But I'd, I'd certainly watch mm. more episodes of it. We do have a Who alumnus. So we've got Mrs. Baddeley from uh, the Chimes of Midnight audio who turns up at one of the tills. And I can't remember her name. But it is <laughs> it is full of quite big-name stars. You've got Mark Addy in this, Jason Watkins, as I've said, Jane Horrocks. Um, there's a lot of familiar faces in it. And that continues. In, later, in the second series, there is... Uh, Stephanie Beecham takes the centre stage for the for the whole of the second series. Oh, as as what character? She plays a very northern area manager. Oh right, she does good northern. Yeah, she, <laughs> she very bolshy character, completely against everything that I've ever seen her play in anything else, and she does it brilliantly. And Sarah Parrish crops up uh, much later in the run, and she. Um, Quite a similar sort of character, although a little less brash. But and also an honorary member to the guy whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head, uh, Carl Rice, who was the little lad in the Accrington Stanley Milk adverts. <laughs> All grown up, and he's in it from beginning to end, playing the the token dosser who just does everything to skive off work while being at work. Oh, he's the one with all the tattoos. Yes. But no, you asked whether any of them are couples in this. There's the underlying romance theme that, that certain of them do pair off, certain of them don't, even despite best efforts. And so, that, again, all that, very true to life. It all goes on. So, yeah, but that's, that's Trollied. I could recommend Trollied. And I would certainly watch it again. Mm. I'd not seen it before. It's one of those things that I occasionally get emails about box sets for, mm. and because I've never seen it, I've, I've not gone for any of the box sets. Yeah. But- Actually, I'm probably not allowed to say that I would go for one of the box sets because I'm being very strongly encouraged to downsize in terms of the number of DVDs I have. I, I got the impression from Alan that, uh, yeah, you, the, the delight on your face when I said that I'm having a clear out and the dismay on his that you might acquire some of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he, he's, he's inherently minimalist and I'm... Not. <laughs> yeah, we have the same problem. Uh, although I am I'm getting mine under control through necessity more than desire. But that just about wraps up our sitcoms, our first volume of our sitcoms. It does. It's something we will be returning to. Mm. I've, I've really enjoyed all four of those. Yeah. Well, I've discovered plebs for the first time, so that's, that's something I'm really going to have to find more of. I loved that. That was great. And I do fancy the idea of a... Um, Historical sitcoms. Yeah. Well, there's The Blackhead of Pilot, which we do have a copy of somewhere, and uh, Upstart Crow, certainly. And I'm sure you've mentioned a couple of others. Complete Natural History of Britain, Up Pompeii, Chelmsford 1, 2, 3. We've already uh, sown the seeds for a a future episode. But in the meantime, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope, as ever, that you found something to enjoy. We'll be back in a fortnight with the next edition. We'll see you soon. 
The Exton Moss experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.